the greatest need for Tswane is not the integration of the races. The greatest need is Jesus. Because you can get all these houses where people from different races come together, churches where black, white, pink are together, but in the absence of Jesus, you still have problems. Hallelujah. So this morning I want you to understand that our greatest need in the world is Jesus. We need the Lord Jesus in our lives. Because I can give you a temporary solution to your problems right now, but if Jesus is not backing up that solution, that solution is temporary. We need Jesus in, for us to see results that are life-changing. You see, what we do in the absence of Jesus is cutting out the branches from a tree. We are not dealing with the root cause of the issue. The root cause of man today is the absence of Jesus wherever they are. We need to bring Jesus to whatever we do. That is why last week I started on this theme entitled, The Greatest Act of Love. The greatest act of love is when you come into my life, you impact me in such a way that eternity is changed for good. There is a transference from being separated from God for eternity to being with the Father for eternity. Hallelujah. Amen. So last week I took you through a number of points. The first one was for us to explore the state of evangelism in today's world amongst believers in the church. What is the state of evangelism? And then we wanted to say, what is in the center of this problem where only 37% of believers actually evangelize? In other words, one in four people actually evangelize. What is in the center of that problem? You can catch up on the internet to see and to hear what those problems were. And thirdly, we said, how can we create a culture of reaching out to the lost? How do we turn around this situation? And point number one was, you need to develop an accurate view of the state of man. But men without Jesus, they are lost. It doesn't matter how flashy they look, it doesn't matter how handsome they are, they might have a six pack, they might be exciting people to be around, but in the absence of Jesus, they are dead. Secondly, we need to turn our conviction into action. Yes, we have a conviction that it's my responsibility to reach out, but we haven't reached out. Therefore, let's turn our convictions into actions. Now, before I get on to my third point this morning, I want to show you a clip. I hope this clip will speak to you, it will encourage you, it will challenge you, it will leave you feeling a bit uncomfortable about how you've been dealing with non-believers. Sometimes
one will come just now. genuine love would lead you to a place where you share the gospel. Now in the absence of genuine love it is impossible to share the gospel. Now if it was not of love Jesus would not have remained, would not have come down to earth. Because we know John 3 verse 16 for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I want us to pause there for a moment. From the time you got born again, you had John 3.16. But there's an implication to that scripture. Because here the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. Now the amount of love you have determines the quality of your gift. You see, he says here, Jesus gave his son. Not only his son, but his only begotten son. And this morning I want to challenge you that if you are being driven by love, you've got to give the greatest gift. And that gift is the knowledge of Jesus. For God so loved the world so much that he gave. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, the Bible says here, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Jesus modeled something very powerful here. Jesus did not say, I'm going to die if there's a guarantee that you're going to accept my love. He says here, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. What this means is that we've got to love people before they are lovable. Before we can have a guarantee that this person will ever come to Jesus. We've got to come to a place where we say it doesn't matter even if he doesn't come to know Jesus, but I'm going to play my part. I'm going to plant that seed. I'm going to leave the seed in this ground and I'll leave it to God. So Jesus said, it doesn't matter. Even if they don't come, I'll still go and die. With the hope that one of them will say yes to the love of Jesus. Sometimes we look at people and say, there is no way that this one can come to Jesus. There is no way that this one can be born again. I was praying on Friday and I remember making this prayer and say, Lord, I thank you for my uncle that he cannot resist the word. If the word could reach a man like Saul, Saul was a killer, Saul was a murderer, Saul was taking the church into prisons. But in the moment when he was hit by the Lord Jesus, all he could do was to hit the deck and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Who are you, Lord? And I want you to understand that there is no one who is beyond the reach of the cross. There is no one who is beyond repair. You see, there are times where your car gets involved in a car accident and they say it's a write-off. What they're saying is that we can't salvage this. We can't do anything with this vehicle. It's good for the scrapeyard. There is no one who is good for the scrapeyard today. Because Jesus came and he died on the cross. You see, there's a place when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem. He was sitting at the back of a donkey. And everyone was celebrating and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And in that moment, Jesus was basking in the glory. Jesus was just enjoying the moment that people were acknowledging who he was. But in that moment of seeing these praises coming to him, the Bible says he lifted up his eyes and he looked at the city of Jerusalem. Luke chapter 19 verse 41 but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. You see, Jesus could not allow the moment of being praised to dissuade him, to move him from what really mattered. He could have just ignored the inside emotions that he was experiencing with regard to Jerusalem. But in that moment, he lifted up his eyes and he wept over the city. You see, what is our problem today? When the Lord allows us to go into a moment of comfort, a moment of prosperity, a moment of joy, a moment of peace in our marriage, we forget about what really matters. But in that day when Jesus had a moment to be praised by people, he did not allow that to move him from the reason why he came. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. Today the Lord has given you the job you've been so much crying for. He has given you that wife, that husband, the kids you've been crying for. 
those things can easily become a hindrance from us reaching the lost because we are very comfortable. You know, we can really like our houses, love our houses to a point where we are not comfortable to be inconvenienced to invite somebody into our homes. Because we are concerned about the dirt they, really, they leave behind. We are concerned about the possible damage they'll bring to your equipment at home. Whatever it is. But Jesus did not allow the comfort of the moment. He wept over the city. And this is my question, what do you weep over? You see, there are times where we laugh, where we should be, where we should be weeping. There are visuals that we see on TV, we just say, ah, whatever, this happens all the time in our nation. We go to come to a place where we start weeping over our nation, over our neighborhood. Jesus wept over the city. You see, when you are compelled by compassion and by love for people, you ignore all the discomforts that can be associated with the action that you will take to reach them. You will ignore the discomforts that can come with reaching the lost. Because the moment you start bringing Jesus in the context, you can be name called. You see, compassion causes you to see what others cannot see. To experience the pain that others do not experience. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 to 38. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. He felt for them. Why? Because they were confused, they were helpless, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. When you see a crowd of people, what goes on in your heart? What happens inside of you? What emotions are evoked in your spirit man when you see a crowd of people walking through the doors into capital craft? What goes through our hearts? The Bible says compassion made him feel sorry for the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I don't think other people saw what Jesus was seeing. You see, compassion compels us to treat non-believers differently. In other words, we start seeing everyone as a potential candidate for heaven. That is what love will make you do. You stop seeing people as just ordinary people who are going around their business. You start looking at them and you see them as potential candidates for heaven. What does that mean? It means that you'll find it acceptable to be around believers, non-believers. You'll find it to be okay to be amongst non-believers. If I'm to ask you today, how many non-believers are in your circle, in your sphere of influence? How many of them feel comfortable to spend time with you or you spending time with them? Let's be like Jesus. Jesus will be found amongst tax collectors. He will be found amongst the Pharisees. Look at this here, Luke 5, verse 31. This was a moment where Levi was found sitting on a table. He was a tax collector, and Jesus called him. They went to Levi's house, and the Bible says he threw a great party. And then he invited people of his own type. He invited tax collectors. 
Now, this is where we catch the story with. The people that saw Jesus and his disciples sitting around these non-believers, these people were so dirty in the eyes of the Pharisees. The Pharisees questioned, what manner of man is this? Is he really a believer? You see, sometimes we are really concerned about outward appearance. We want to be seen so holy, and therefore we don't want to be seen with certain people. We say, if they see me with this person, what will they say? Now listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered, answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. This is the question. How comfortable are we to be with non-believers? You see, when you understand the heart of God concerning somebody who doesn't know Jesus, you'll be prepared to make concessions without sacrificing divine truth. In other words, you will say, as long as I'm not involved in anything that breaks divine rule, I will spend time with you. And you will, you will make it clear with the people. You say, you know what, guys, I really enjoy your company, but there are certain things that I cannot do. But they won't stop me from being with you. You'll be okay being around people who don't talk like you. There are people who cannot finish a sentence without swearing. Now, do you feel so defiled that you can't stand that environment? Or you say, Holy Spirit, give me the grace to just sustain two more minutes for me to share the love of God with them. Because that is what it takes. You see, you choose to disciple someone even before they're born again. You choose to invite them into your house. Listen to what Paul says around this. He says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. He goes on to say, When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. When I was with, the, with those who followed the Jewish law, I too, I too lived under the law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. Verse 21, when I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. So here he's not advocating to sin in order to bring sinners to Christ. No. He's saying, I will come. As far as I'm able, I will hang around. I will show the light in the darkness so that those who are sitting in darkness, they can see the light in me. Because the moment I partake of their sins, the moment I become what they are like, there's no more light anymore. You see, we need to be in that place that is so dark and still shine that candle and then they'll be able to say, I need that. I like the way you live. You've been around us, but you haven't done one, two, three things. How do you do it? They'll start telling you, I've been struggling to break this habit and yet you've been around us, but you haven't partaken. That is when the gospel starts making sense to people. 
That is when people start realizing that they cannot pick themselves up using their shoe straps. They cannot save themselves. They need to realize that their habits can only be broken by the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You can give them self-help tips, but in the absence of Jesus, it will not work. How can they know the truth unless I come and show them it is possible to live an upright life in the midst of a fallen world? That is what the world is looking for today. You see, when we lower the standard and we do as the world does, we are, we are actually losing the opportunity to show them that there's an answer somewhere. So the church has got to live with a higher standard of life for there to be a difference. The Bible says you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. You see, when there is a light, you cannot ignore it. And this morning, I want to encourage you, remain being the light where God has placed you. Do not give up even if you don't see results today. You see, you just need to hold on one more day, one more year, one more moment for them to realize that there's something different about you. The Bible says a city on top of the hill cannot be ignored. You've got to keep on trumpeting Jesus and living out a Christian life that people cannot deny the reality of Jesus. They should be able to say, I have seen it in his life. Verse 22 says, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone. That is the key. He says, yes, I want to find common ground with everyone. How many bridges have you been building between you and non-believers? Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Why have we been refusing to go to year-end functions with our work colleagues? Like, ah, uh -uh, what they do there, ah, uh -uh, I don't like what they do. Why have you been refusing to go on business trips with non-believers? Like, ah, uh -uh, I don't like what they're doing. Paul says there, yeah, I'll try as much as possible to build a bridge, to find common ground. When you go to that work function, in your heart of hearts, you're saying, Lord, I'm looking for just one opportunity to touch somebody's life. Lord, you know how I've lived in this company, faithful. I want to show somebody where this character comes from. Because it's not about us. It's not about how good we are. Because inherently, without Jesus, we are bad people. The world tells you, inherently, man is good. No, the Bible tells us in the absence of Jesus, we are depraved. And we need to come to a place where we show people where we get the strength to remain standing in the midst of adversity. Glory be to God. So that is the point. I'm saying you've got to develop genuine love for people. Now you're asking me, but do I just wake up in the morning, all of a sudden I have this love oozing out of me. You can pray for that love. You can say, Lord, give me compassion for the sinners. Give me compassion for the guys in my workplace. Give me a burden. I want to carry the burden of the Lord. You'll find that what you don't pray for, you won't get. You see, when the Bible says, ask and you shall receive, it doesn't qualify that ask. 
You can ask for, a, for a compassion and for a love for the lost. And all of a sudden, something will start rising up in your heart whenever you see somebody who is lost in their sins. Our major challenge is that we've been self-focused for a long time. We've been looking at ourselves, at our well-being. But if there is a shift this morning and in this season where we say as a body of Christ, I want to make a difference where you have planted me. You'll be able to see some changes taking place. Point number four. If we are to develop a culture of reaching out to the lost, we need to develop prayer as a tool for evangelism. Prayer is key. Because in the absence of prayer, we cannot reach the lost. Why? Before you talk to people about God, you need to talk to God about people. The mistake that we make, we rush to talk to people about God and then we miss it along the way. We need to start talking to God about the people because they, are, they belong to God. God knows exactly how to meet people. Therefore, we need to go and talk to the Father and say, Lord, I'm praying for this region. How do you want me to reach it? What are the issues I need to deal with? So before you talk to people about God, talk to God about the people. Very key. You'll actually find if I will ask you today, in the portion of your prayer life, how much is dedicated to praying for the lost, you'd find that it doesn't feature. We are so preoccupied with presenting our own petitions. That is okay. There's nothing wrong with, with that. But the Lord is calling us to a higher dimension of life. A higher form of life where we say, yes, I'll bring my petitions about myself, but I'll also pray concerning the lost. You see, you need to understand that God gave the earth to you and me. And he cannot function unless we allow him to come and function. You see, prayer is simply inviting God into the affairs of man. So when you talk to God, you are inviting God to get involved in the affairs of man. So when we pray to God concerning lost souls, we are saying, Lord, come and reveal to us what we need to do to reach the lost. You see, when Jesus spoke about how plentiful the harvest was, he lamented over the issue of laborers. He did not have an issue with, with the harvest. He had an issue with laborers. Look at this here, Luke 10, verse 2. It says there, these were instructions to them. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. So the first thing that Jesus said when, when he said the problem is with laborers, he says pray. And this morning I want us to start praying. Let's pray to the Lord of the harvest so that the Lord of the harvest can commission us. You see, when you are commissioned by the Lord of the harvest, you are guaranteed of the harvest. Because he is sending you to the harvest. This morning I want us to understand that reaching people for Jesus is warfare. And it is one type of warfare that needs to be won first in the spirit before we try and achieve anything in the natural. You see, the devil is holding people down. And there's a place where the Bible says if anyone wants to plunder a house, you only get to plunder the house after you have bound the strong man of the house, then you have access to the house. 
So if we are to deplete the kingdom of darkness and bring much into the kingdom of heaven, we need to bind the strong man who is in charge of the kingdom of darkness. And then the people will be loosed for the kingdom of heaven. You see, when you talk to God about people, you are engaging spiritual forces that have ganged up against people. Look, to, look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The Bible says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message because about the glory of our Christ, of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now you need to understand that soul winning is not about winning intellectual battles. It's not about arguing your way out. It's not about standing until people can no longer stand your presence because you're very argumentative. No. It's about fighting the right kind of war. It's about travailing in prayer for that person so that when you go and present the gospel, the, the, the soil is ready and fertile to receive the word. The God of this world has blinded them. You see, people are blinded by different things. So before you engage talking to somebody about Jesus, talk to the Father and let him give you a revelation of the type of veil that is covering this person. What has been stopping this person from accepting Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior? Could it be a religious spirit that has developed a stronghold in their minds where they cannot see the true light? What is it? What is the background of this person? Is this person coming from a background where the family was involved in ancestral worship? Could this be the veil that is covering their eyes? Has this person been in church and they are now disillusioned? A pastor, a leader betrayed them and they drew a line and said, Never again will I set my foot into a church. You see, the moment you understand that, then you will, not, you will start fighting the, the correct battle. You see, Paul says, I'm not like the one who punches the air. I'm not like the one who just fights aimlessly. I know the issue that I'm dealing with. So that workmate of yours, what is blinding them today? Your family, what is blinding them today? When you start praying over your family, the Lord will start revealing to you, maybe it's a familiar spirit that has come and created a stronghold that is anti-Christ in the family. What is it? What veil is covering people around you? That is why we need to engage into the spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, from verse 3 to 5. Paul says here, we are human. Very powerful to acknowledge our state. We are human, and because we are human, we are more inclined to use the tools that we are used to. It's easy to engage. If you are somebody who's good with the tongue, it's easy to engage people just on a carnal level. And you don't make headway, you get discouraged. But now he says here, yeah, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. Let's put down our worldly weapons. If we think carrying the Bible just in the natural would lead people to Christ, let's put that down. We've got to wear the Bible in our hearts and live it out. Glory be to God. Amen. He says here, yeah, 
not worldly weapons to knock, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Therefore, we cannot engage just on the intellectual level. There are people who are really intellectuals out there. They know the word. And they can argue everything that you put out to them. But sometimes when we operate in the spirit, those arguments will be brought down. They'll realize it's futile. Let's go to point number five. So I'm saying here yeah, we need to, to love people genuinely. We need to involve prayer. And this prayer involves praying for the unsaved and praying for yourself. Because you can get discouraged. You can reach the first, the second, the third, and nobody's really paying attention. you got to pray for courage. Number five, you need to involve the Holy Spirit. Don't go at it alone. This is very important. Because it's a spiritual battle. You see, the issues of the soul, of the spirit, it's a spiritual battle. Therefore, we need to engage in the spirit. We need to, enjoy the, to engage the Holy Spirit. Now, our greatest mistake is to try and accomplish this by our own means. Maybe you're in marketing and you've seen how it has worked for you in your marketing field. And you think, I, I know, I know, I know, I know how to engage people. Wait a moment. It's different from selling peanuts on the streets. It's different from selling cars. You see, there are many zealous believers who have caused so much damage than good because they're trying it by themselves. You know, you can approach somebody in such a bad way that you turn them off that for the coming five years they don't want to hear anything about God because of the way you presented the gospel. Now, Jesus was not prepared to send the disciples by themselves. He told them to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, if the disciples who had walked with Jesus for three odd years needed to wait, how much more of us? How much more of you to wait for the Holy Spirit? And this morning, if you haven't been baptized in the Spirit, you haven't engaged the, the Holy Spirit in your life, I would encourage you to open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's almost like Jesus did not trust them without the Holy Spirit. He was like, mm -mm, I'm not very sure how you're going to handle what you're going to face. You need a helper. And this morning I want to say the same thing. You might not know how to handle the issues that you'll encounter the moment you make a choice to reach out. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Engage the Holy Spirit in your life. Develop an active relationship with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, before you go, wait. Now, this is my question. How is your relationship with the Holy Spirit? The quality of that relationship will determine how successful you will be on reaching out to the lost. How is your relationship with the Holy Spirit? The Bible says in Acts 1 verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. That is very key. You shall receive power. 
after which you have received the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. It's almost like Jesus was saying to be a true witness, you need power. You need the enablement of the Holy Spirit. You need the engine to be changed, an overhaul of your engine. If you're driving a 1.1 right now without the Holy Spirit, the moment the Spirit of God comes, it becomes something that is turbo boost. Something that is a, I don't know whatever engine you like, but that is what happens in your spirit, man. There is a shift in the way you operate because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to God. So Jesus says, you receive power and then you'll be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, there was a complete transformation in the lives of the disciples the moment they received the Holy Spirit. There was something that shifted in them. And today the same can happen to your life when you involve the Holy Spirit in reaching out the lost. You start hearing the Spirit of God telling you that person needs to be encouraged today. Get closer to them. Encourage them. You go to them. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what your situation. But I just want to tell you, God is for you. I want to tell you whatever you're facing, He will come through for you. But if you can open your heart to Him, all of a sudden like, but how do you know that I was going through issues? You know what? Actually, this is what has been going on in my life. There is no way that can happen when you're operating the 1.1 engine or by yourself. We can try and manufacture these things and they backfire. Because before you know it, they'll catch up with you. So he says you shall receive power after which the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at this, Acts chapter 4 verse 13. After they had prayed... Their meeting place was shaken. We need our meeting places to be shaken. We need our, 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 our Sunday mornings to be shaken by the Holy Spirit. And it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You see, when the Spirit of God comes into our lives, if you are a timid person, there's a boldness that comes upon you. There's a daringness that comes upon you because all of a sudden he possesses you. Because it's no longer you that lives, but Christ that lives through the Spirit of God in your heart. You see, the Holy Spirit enables us to operate in signs and wonders. When you pray for somebody who is sick and they don't, they don't know Jesus, do you know God can heal people who are not born again? There are people who believe that they cannot experience those kind of things, but God loves everyone because the Bible says it is the love of God that leads men to repentance. You see, when somebody realizes that they don't deserve love and they get the love, something happens to their hearts. When you know that you don't deserve to be forgiven by your husband and your husband forgives you, guess what? You're going to love them so much after that because you say, thank you for forgiving me. I didn't deserve your forgiveness. I really, really appreciate that. Husband and wife here, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's something that happens when you know that I deserve to be punished for the coming week, but your wife just says, it's all right. It's okay. Listen, I still love you. You're still mine. You see, that is what God is doing to non-believers. Say, though you haven't received me, but my love is for you. I'm going to heal you of your cancer. And it is that moment of healing that the non-believer says, 
Wow. I actually, God is real. He touched me when I didn't deserve to be touched. Let's carry the heart of God. You see, we need the Holy Spirit because it is not us who change people. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts the world of righteousness. It is the Holy Spirit when the word is preached, the Holy Spirit jumps into the heart of that person, grips their heart, and they say, what shall we do? Remember when Peter stood up and preached the word where those 3,000 people got saved, he preached so much under the power of the Holy Spirit that the people said, man, tell us, what shall we do? And it says, receive Jesus, make him the Lord of your life. And 3,000 got born again. You see, reaching the lost is not about how much you know. This is the issue. Some people are not reaching the lost because they think they don't know much. It's not about how much you know. It's not about being eloquent in speech. It's about speaking the truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to God. Amen. So really, it doesn't matter where you are. But when you carry the Holy Spirit in your heart, you carry the word in your mouth, just see what God does with that. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. I came to you in weakness. How many people feel weak today? Who feel I don't qualify to share the word. I don't know what to say. You see, sometimes you don't need to rehearse these things. Just go with it. Just go with what the Spirit of God is saying. Whatever comes out of your mouth the first time, just go with it, believing that the Spirit of God will put words into your mouth. Now it says here, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. Very liberating. Paul says, I did not come trying to be any big man of God. I just came in my simplicity. I did not rely on my eloquence, on my ability to speak. I relied on the Spirit of God. When the church understands that, we won't need to do anything out of this world for us to reach the world. We'll just go with the power of the Holy Spirit and see what God does. So finally, where do we start? You're asking me, like, I actually don't know where to start. Right, you need to get equipped. That's really for, that's, a, that's the truth. You need to get equipped. You need to be taught. We have a booklet in our church. I don't know how many of us have got that booklet called Each One Rich One. That booklet is all you need. It will tell you exactly how to reach the lost. But also, you need to start being with people who don't know Jesus. As simple as that. Hang around more people who don't know Jesus and being conscious of the fact that I'm the planting of the Lord. In this region, I am the planting of the Lord. Start with your family. Who do you know? Look at your family. Look at your neighbors. Look at school friends. Get them involved in what you do. You can arrange what they call a Matthew's party at your house. Be deliberate. Do a party at your house and don't invite us. Just invite a few of us, just a few of us, but invite as many non-believers as possible. When I'm saying don't invite us, sometimes you just do a party and who is there? Everybody is saved. It's all people from the church. You can invite us, but your main agenda will be to invite the guys in your line, in your neighborhood, who don't know Jesus. You just, let me just give an example. You just knock at the gate, I've been seeing you driving up and down. I stay at number four Falk Street. 
uh, we've never really spoken. I'm doing a party tomorrow night. Would you like to come? You know? There'll be other guys from the street. Just want to get to know each other as, as neighbors. I, I don't, you know, something like that. Or you stay in these two, three-story flats, flats or whatever it is. You go to, I mean, we walk past people every single morning when we go to work, don't we? And some of you, you know exactly, at 10 past 7, this person gets onto the how train. You know, you meet them carrying their satchel every single morning. And you know they're staying Centurion because they are catching the train here in the Centurion train, train station. So you actually now start talking. That's an opportunity. You go to the same filling station. Now, we need to be creatures of habit sometimes. Go to the same filling station. And before you know it, you get to know all the service guys there. And then tip them, engage them, converse with them. And then all of a sudden, there's a rapport that develops. Mothers who take kids to school. You get to school at the same time all the time. And you know there's a mother who also drops a kid at the same time. And they drive this uh, VW. I remember seeing a couple that are now in our church. And uh, it started there. I, I remember seeing the wife. I'm like, ha. Ah. Okay, and then the daughter. Ah, and then after a while, there's a connection. After a while, they're in our church. After a while, they're part of Pretoria East Church. You see how God works. Amen. We could have ignored them and just say, I just Bernice and Haley doing their thing. But when they decided to come, we connected with them. Glory be to God. There is so much. There are so many people that we get to know. Whatever club you're doing, maybe you are cycling or you do CrossFit, some of you. But CrossFit is for believers. But there are some who come, they're very religious. They don't know Jesus. This is very true. There are people who go to church, but they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They're just religious. Praise the Lord.